Well, as we uh, continue our Advent series, we're going to let Malachi really take us into um, a deep question, a probing question that exposes our hearts. Um, if you are just joining us in the series, uh, this is a, a book written by, the, the man is named uh, Malachi or Malachi, the Italian prophet. Um, and his name means the messenger of the Lord, and he's given this burden, this uh, this, this uh message that um, is burdening him because it's from the Lord that he's been sent to give to God's people. And God's people are in a place where, man, they're struggling to see why it matters to keep being faithful to God. Have you been there? Have you been to a place where you're not sure it matters anymore whether you do good or whether you don't, whether you live right or whether you don't? Uh, because it doesn't seem as though it's making any difference. With what you're seeing with your eyes, what you're experiencing with your life, it doesn't seem to matter. Now, we're, we're familiar with the question of why do bad things happen to good people? But the other side of that question is why do good things happen to bad people? And, that, and that's a question and a theme that the Bible doesn't shy away from. In fact, it explores it in several different books. The one we, we finished a, a, a few months ago, Ecclesiastes, uh, hits on that. Uh, perhaps the most clear place is, is Psalms, uh, uh, the 73rd Psalm, where Asaph is, is really observing the world and, and, and looking and going, man, those people, those people are terrible. They're jerks. They're thieves. They lie. They don't, they don't even try to serve the Lord. And yet it seems like their life is really really good. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about getting out of this deal. Like, it's, it's, it's terrible. And so, um, but Asaph is struggling, and it's sort of this, this journal in Psalm 73, and he, and, he, and he gets himself back to a place. Here is God just confronting a people who have kind of resolved to that place. They've resolved to a place of why does it matter? And so that is where we find ourselves um, is in this, this uh, confrontation, this loving family meeting, if you will, where God is sending Malachi as his messenger to say, hey, let's huddle up, fam. I know y'all got some questions. I know you guys think you have some beef with me, but let, let me have some conversations with you. And so there's these six disputations that we're walking through um, in the chapters of Malachi where, where God is going to make an accusation of his people. His people are going to say, really, how are we doing that? And then he's going to explain. And so today, that's exactly what he's confronting is this posture where they've gotten themselves into like, why does it matter anymore? And, and it starts out in verse 17 of chapter 2 saying, you've wearied the Lord with your words. Now, if you're familiar, if you're a Bible person, you know that there's some scriptures that say the Lord doesn't grow weary, right? Created the whole uh, universe Six days did not grow weary, right? Uh, he, he's, um, he's long of, of, Pastor Darren used to say he's long of nose. It, it takes him a long time to get angry, right? Um, it takes him a long time to, to get provoked. Um, and and this, is, this is our God. He is not easily annoyed or provoked, but that's actually the language that's being portrayed here is, is really you've, you've worn him out mentally, emotionally. Those of you who have kids, right, you know what this is like. You got the, the, the three-year-old stage of like 27 questions a minute, right? You get, you get wearied with the questions, especially when you're trying to do something else, right? You're trying to be productive, and it's just constantly. This is the idea that, that this, this is wearing God out. This is, they're, they're annoying him, frankly, is kind of what's being portrayed here. But you say, how have we wearied him? How have we, how have we annoyed God? How have we um, worn him out by saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So what's going on here is exactly what I described. They are at this place where they're going, you know what it seems like? It seems like God's a big fan of everybody who's jerks. You know what it seems like is that God doesn't really care that we're trying over here to follow him. He seems to be blessing everybody else out there that doesn't seem to care. Like th That's where they're at. And so the people of God are in a very, th this is real for them. This is not just like they've, like, this is, a, this is a struggle for them. So part of the context of where this, this messenger of Malachi has been sent is to a people who are back in the promised land, right? God has promised 
um, blessings on them as a people. He said, if you don't hold up my end of the deal, like if, you, if you're not faithful to me, I'm going to discipline you by carrying you off into exile. They've had that. They've been there. They were in Babylon. They were carried off into exile for 70 years. Um, and they were able to come back. And they're still under Persian rule, but they're able to worship now. They're able to go and live in their homeland. They're able to rebuild the temple. And they're able to be Israelites as, as far as religion goes, but they're still under Persian rule. And so the, the temple's been rebuilt. And they were, they were promised, like, hey, you know, you rebuild the temple. My presence is going to come back. It's going to be good. And they, so they've seen some of that happen. The temple's rebuilt. They're back living at home. But as a nation, man, they're poor. Um, they're still under Persian rule. They are struggling economically. They have no national pride anymore, and they haven't seen this physical manifestation of the Lord's presence return. God's presence had always been very clearly with them in the, the tabernacle as they were traveling, and then in, in, the, in the temple before it was destroyed. And they're struggling to see, like, God, where are you? And so their lives, they're trying to be faithful, but they're suffering and they're struggling. And then they're looking out at their neighbors, pagan nations, whom they've been told not to intermarry with, who they've been told not to, you know, go to church with them, right? They're, they're worshiping a false god. But, but meanwhile, they're seeing them and they seem to be prospering. And this is what they're saying is, man, these people, the, the pagan worship that's happening in this day would make our, our stomachs turn. Right? And yet, they seem to be prospering. So the people have, have, have gotten to this place where they've resolved, where, and they're going, hey, it seems like everybody who does evil, they seem to be the good people in God's sight. Like They're measuring God's love by how much people are, are seeing blessings as far as finances and uh, material things. They're saying, well, if we're looking at who God loves, if we're basing it on bank accounts and flourishing and just you know whose life is going well, it seems like it's the people who... Don't give a rip about him. So what's the point in being faithful here? And then they go on to say, where's the God of justice? All of this injustice is happening. Where is the God of justice? Where is the God who's going to show up and confront these nations that are uh, blaspheming his name and destroying one another and destroying all that God has, has created is good? Where's the God of justice? If, if this is a good God and he's a loving God, how is he allowing this stuff to happen? You start to see how there's relevance for our day, you start to see how we have the same sort of questions bouncing around in our minds and same questions coming culturally for us. Of If your God is good, if your God is a God of love, how can he allow these sorts of things to happen? How can he allow the abuse of children? How can he allow the starvation of people? And, and, and how can he allow these sufferings? How can he allow these things to happen? And maybe more personally, how if he loves me, how can he allow these things to happen to me? Where is the God of justice? This is the indictment that they are bringing on the Lord. Right? And, and it's so, like, God is so kind to confront them. He doesn't just come at their behavior, church. Do you see this? He, he doesn't just say, hey, stop, fill in the blank. He knows that their sin and their behavior is being driven by a heart issue and a posture. He knows that they are far from him relationally. And so he's coming and confronting. He's going, I, I know you're saying these things. Because you know, like this is an actual real conversation. This is the prophet uh, being given this burden and, and God is calling them out and then giving their own response. He knows the thoughts of men. He knows what you're thinking, right? He knows the inner dialogue that you've had in your mind, the ways that you've debated on whether it's good or whether or not he cares about you, right? All of those, those inner dialogues that you've struggled with that you actually really believe pretty clearly, but you would never actually say out loud, this is what he's confronting. You see Jesus actually do this whenever he's on earth. Just call out guys for what they're thinking. It's awesome. You should read the Gospels. It's fantastic. Because they're like, what, 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 what? yeah, what, he knows. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your struggles. He knows what you would never verbalize. So he knows this is the posture of his people. This is how they're viewing him. And it's affecting their relationship. And so he's going, hey, we, we got to talk. We got to talk. Because you think, you think because of what you're seeing that I'm not a God of justice you think that I, I don't actually care anymore. We need to talk. 
And so this is where he calls them out. This is this prolonged posture and these inner thoughts and these probably even some conversations amongst one another, uh, you know, politically and uh, economically, like God, seemed to, God doesn't really seem to care. You can imagine that some people were trying to call one another out like, hey, you know, we're not supposed to do that, right? You know, hey, we're supposed to live this way. And I can imagine there's some conversations going like, really? Why does it matter? Why should we be faithful and not marry outside of our, you know, of our religion, or why should we be faithful and give this amount of worship, or why should we be faithful and do this? Because it doesn't seem to matter. Can you see the conversations that we'd be playing out? You see the practical implications on their lives whenever they're trying to be faithful, or someone's calling them out, and they're going, really? But why? Does, why? Because I've been doing that, and this is what it's got me. I'm poor. I'm struggling. What's the point? They don't do any of this. And they seem to be enjoying life. You see where this is, this is raw here. This is, a, this, is a, this is very real struggle and heart issues that God is confronting. And so this is where they're at, and this is God's response. Verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Behold, like, pay attention. You don't think I'm going to show up? You don't think I care? Behold. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. He says, I'm going to show up. I, you don't think I'm going to show up, but I'm going to show up, and I'm going to send my messenger, and he's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming. He is coming. This is the Advent season. This is, this is the prophet looking ahead to like God is going to show up. He is going to bring justice. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying, no, no, I, I'm, I'm going to show up. You don't think I am. You, you, you think that I've forgotten. You don't think it matters anymore. No, no, I'm coming. And he begins to tell him how he's going to come. This is very much getting into the Christmas and, and, and the prophecy of both John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to see in this passage Two sort of instances where these prophecies apply to both a present reality and a future reality. One prophecy, we saw this in Daniel. Um, God will give these prophecies, and they're, they're talking about something that's in the short term, in the near view of what's going to happen in the present time, but they're also going to be fully fulfilled or additionally fulfilled in the future. And so in Daniel, we looked at this picture, and I, I couldn't find it because I forgot about it until this morning. I couldn't find it, but uh, there's this idea, like, if you're looking at a mountain range and you're looking kind of perpendicular at the mountain range, you, you can see, like, okay, this is that's that mountain peak and that's that mountain peak. But if you're actually looking in line, like if I was on the other side of that Christmas tree and I'm looking at right at one Christmas tree, it might look like it's just one, but in reality, there's another one behind it. And maybe it's slightly taller and it just looks like one peak. You see what I'm, what I'm saying? Like if I'm looking at that mountain range and it's, it's, you know, it's back there, I could see very clearly, okay, it's this peak, it's this peak. But if I get on the other side of that and I'm looking in line, if I'm kind of you know, perpendicular to it, and I'm looking that way, I, I can see, like, okay, like, it, it looks like it's just one, but in reality, it's multiple, and we're going to see that twice, uh, both with the messenger and with the, the, the Lord himself, um, and so the first, he says, I'm going to send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me, so this is an Eastern cultural um, common practice where if someone of status was coming to visit, they would send someone ahead of them to prepare the way. Uh, if a king was coming to town, they'd send someone ahead of them to literally, it's, it's just saying, remove the obstacles, prepare the way, make way, make sure that when they arrive, they're able to get where they're going, that there's no obstacles, that the people are ready to receive them. And this is the idea that, that's, that's being unpacked here. And this is, this is the verse that is quoted in Matthew and in the other gospels to actually say, this is who John the Baptist is, that he is sent to be the one who is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So now we'll look at, we're going to look at that in more detail in a couple weeks, uh, the, the prophecy about John the Baptist. So we'll bring this verse back in whenever we look um, later about that specifically. But um, this is one of those instances where I think it's talking about John the Baptist in the future, but I also think it's talking about Malachi right here because you remember Malachi's name, the messenger of the Lord, right? So God has, has given Malachi this burden he sent him to these people to be a messenger and to what? Prepare the way. We've talked about it. This is 
the last word from God before Jesus' arrival. Right? God goes silent after Malachi for 400 years until the angels show up and speak to Mary, and we launch into the New Testament activity. And so um, he's, he's talking about Malachi as well with this messenger uh, being sent to his people to prepare. And so sometimes we get in this place and we go, man, I don't think God cares about me. I don't, I don't think he even gives a rip about what we're going through. or what, like, And that could be me personally, or that could be us corporately, or the world in general. I don't think he cares. And we start to ask these questions. We start to wonder, is he really going to come? Does he actually care? And, and God is responding and saying, you've misunderstood the whole movement of the scriptures is God moving toward a people that have moved away from him. The entire narrative of the scripture is God moving toward his people, making a way to get his people back. And so he sent Malachi for that very reason, to prepare his people to actually receive him. Because what he's going to say is, oh, I'm going to show up. I'm coming. And I don't think you're ready. So I think it's talking about Malachi and then John the Baptist is going to do that for when Jesus himself is going to show up. And so he says, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Again, just removing obstacles, making sure that people are ready. That's the practical idea that they would have very much connected with if someone was coming to visit. You think of, uh, you know, if the times whenever uh, a governor or a president has stopped in our area, there are uh, secret service or whatever governor's people are called, security people here weeks before that, right? Preparing the way, making sure that things are ready to receive those individuals and making sure they're safe. This is the same kind of idea. I'm going to send somebody ahead to make sure that my people are ready to receive me. The, the end of verse one says, in the Lord, so he's going to send a messenger, and the Lord whom you seek, okay, the God whom you're saying, is he even going to show up? Where is the God of justice? He says, he's going to come suddenly. He's going to come to his temple. You're wondering why he hasn't showed back up in his temple. You're wondering why he hasn't, you think he's forgot his promises or they were in vain. No, no, he's going to come. He's going to come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. That messenger is also translated angel. Like this is talking about Jesus, the one who's going to bring the bearing of the covenant, both the blessing and the wrath of the covenant. He's going to come. That messenger in whom you delight, that God that you've called out to and said, where are you? He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's going to come. So this is the promise Malachi is reiterating and reminding his people of so much of preaching, so much of what we need as people is, listen, we don't need new information. Okay, but I think it's Peter that says, listen, our job is just to remind you of what you already know. Like, you don't need new teaching that's evolved and progressed. No, we need to be reminded of what is true. And that is so much of my job, that's so much of what the Bible is going to do for us, is, is remind us of what is already true. And this is, this is what he's doing here. He's saying, Listen, I know you've began to doubt it, but the Lord is going to come. He will come. Now listen, we can hear that and just go, yeah, yeah, I mean, they should have known. Because we know that 400 years from now, like, he, he shows up. We celebrate how he shows up, how he speaks to Mary, and he's born of a virgin, and he comes in the manger like we just read. Like, we know that story. So we can set and kind of judge these people for struggling in their faith and not believing that he was actually going to come. But no, 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 let's, let's, let's not do that. Let's, let's go back to where we are because we're in between the first and second advent, aren't we? He has come and he will come again. And so you and I can, can begin to think like he's not actually going to come. It's been 2,000 years. Right? Even the disciples who lived years after Jesus ascended and began to plant churches, began to tell people that Jesus, whom you crucified, and he ascended into heaven, an angel told us he's going to come back in the same way. They, been, they were telling people that, and, and people were going, really? I mean, where is he? Like, when's he going to come back? And, and, and already, like, within a generation, people were questioning, like, I mean, how long is he going to be gone? So here we are. We're 2,000 years from now. Do we actually believe Jesus is coming back? Because whether we do or not impacts how we live, doesn't it? That, that gets exactly into the place where the people that Malachi was sent to, that's where, like where they are is where we, where they were is where we are. 
does it matter whether I'm faithful to God? Like, he's not coming back. He's not coming back in my lifetime. Like, he's been gone 2,000. Like, why would I think he's coming back? Like, why would I live in, in such a way? But he's reminded, he's reminding them, no, no, I'm going to come back. I'm coming. And so let this sober us up. And this is going to be the, the point of the whole passage is to actually sober his people back up to the fact, no, no, I will come. And you need to make sure you're ready for that day because this is what he says in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? So God is going to get real honest with them saying, you know, I know you've been asking this question, where's this God of justice? He says, oh, he's coming. But when he comes, who's going to be able to stand? Who's going to be able to endure uh, his showing up? Who can stand whenever he appears? When he shows up, do you really think you're going to be like, yeah, get him, Lord? And you're just going to watch him destroy everybody else? No, we know what happens whenever we see the presence of God. Isaiah was like a man among men. He, he's, a, he's a good man. He's a follower of God. And he's brought into the, the presence of the Lord in this vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And he doesn't go, oh, yeah, I'm glad you're here. I got some people for you to go confront. What's he do? He hits his face. In a moment, he hits his face because he knows he does not have a chance to stand before this holy God. You see, the people had become entitled. They had become self-righteous. They were, they were comparing themselves horizontally to the rest of the world and saying, like, I don't know what you're seeing, God, but they're all pagans. We're not perfect, but man, we're way better than them. Like we have like schoolyard team picking mentality when we think about how God's going to view us, don't we? Remember that? Do, do kids still do that? Still pick teams on playgrounds? I need to hear from some kids later, but are, you remember that? You remember being like playing kickball and PE or whatever, and everybody lines up and you got two captains and they're picking. And you're thinking, like, well, I may not be the best, but, like, I'm better than that dude, right? Like, I'm not going to be the last one, right? And you just don't want to be the last one, right? So you're just comparing horizontally. Like, you want to be that good? You just want to be the worst, right? And so that's what we do when we think, okay, I mean, I know I'm not awesome. I know I'm not perfect. I've got my issues. But, like, if the Lord's picking a team, I'm going to make it. That's what we think, don't it? Isn't it? We think, well, I'm not. Pagan people, I'm not like fill in the blank. Whatever your idea of a terrible life is, like you're just like, well, I'm not that person. Malachi goes, uh huh. He's coming. You might want to be careful what you wish for. If you think you want justice, guess what? God wants justice too. But you need to be careful when He brings justice. Who's going to be standing? There's a psalm that says, man, when you, if you, Lord, if you're keeping a record of wrongs, none can stand before you. This is the reality that we're confronted with is, hey, hey, I know you want justice, and that's not wrong. God wants that too, but be careful when you're asking for this sweeping uh, move of justice from God. Listen, you will be swept up in it because you are also evil. You are also sinful. This is what this is the message of the Bible is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That none of us can stand before him and go, yeah, get him. No, no. We were all hit our face and go, what was me? I'm a sinner. I'm filthy. Have mercy upon me. This is is what Malachi is reminding them of. It goes, yeah, yeah, he's going to come, but who can endure in his day of coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a what? Refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. So, and he goes on. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. So how does he come? Does he come like a forest fire? Nope. Does he come like an all-consuming fire? No, why? a forest fire is, it just burns everything indiscriminately, doesn't it? A consuming fire just, just completely drinks up everything in its path. But how does he come? He comes as a refiner's fire. So he says, no, no, justice will be served, but here's how God's going to come. It's, 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 you think, yeah, you've got some people on your list you're ready for God to dole out justice to. 
Uh, Malachi says, no, no, like, you think that would be good? That's actually really, really, really bad news. What God has in store for you is really, really, really good news. And here's how the good news has to play out. When the Lord comes, he will come like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap, meaning he has got to do a purifying work. In order for him to show up and give out justice, he has to do a purifying work amongst his people. Otherwise, his people can't stand before him. If he doesn't do a work to prepare his people for the coming judgment and the wrath that he's going to pour out, when he brings justice, you can't stand there on your own merit. If he doesn't do a work in you, you will be consumed by that justice. It will be like a forest fire. You will be consumed. But He's not coming like that. He's coming like a refiner's fire, meaning he's got a work to do in his people so that his people can stand in the fire and be refined and come out the other side as the product of what God has in mind for them. So it says that he will even sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. So he's going to come as a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap. So uh, if, you, if you are familiar with... Um, Precious metal refinement, which I'm sure you all are, right? Y'all do that on the weekends, right? Just burn you up some metal, right? But if you're not, here's, here's kind of how it works. In order to, um, in this day, silver was more uh, precious, uh, more valuable than, than gold, and it was a little harder to refine. But uh, any of that precious metal, that, how they would um, refine it, you know, get rid of the impurities, was to heat it up, was to put it in the fire, and it would liquefy it, it would melt down, and all of the dross, the impurities, the things that weren't pure silver, the things that weren't a part of the precious, the valuable gold would, would float to the top. And then they could, the, they could skim that off, get rid of that, and now they have a, a pure form of the metal that is there. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible process that the Bible uses often to talk about how uh, God refines his people, how he purifies his people. It's this idea of a refiner's fire. Okay, fuller soap, like they didn't have detergent the way that we did. It was mixed in with nice, you know, pleasant, you know, smells and nice little pods that feel weird and your kids want to eat, I guess. I don't know. We should put ours up so our kids don't eat them. But, but um, it's fuller soap, right? It's, they're going to launder their clothes. It's this lye-based, it's, it's just raw cleaning material. They had to push it into material, you know, wash it in there, and then lay it across rocks and then just, like, beat it with sticks, evidently. That seems like a, I mean, like, I don't like laundry now, but man, that's a chore, right? Um, but that, that's, that's the process of cleansing and cleaning that was, was there. And this, and, and this is the image that Malachi says, when, when he comes to give out the justice that you think you want, this is how he's going to come. And it's good news because he's going to make a way for his people to be purified, for his people to stand, and for his people to be with him. How is he going to do that? By being a refiner and, and, and being a, a cleanser, because no one can stand before a holy God on our own merit. There has to be a cleansing. There has to be a, a purifying. Otherwise, we too will be consumed by the wrath of God. And so he says that he will sit as a refiner. Now, so now we're going to get into the second place that we see sort of this present reality and a future reality is in the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament doesn't have a real fleshed out idea of the two comings of Jesus. It talks about there will be a Messiah who comes, but it doesn't have a, a really clear idea that, there, that he will come once, right, to, to redeem his people, to, to, to propitiate for his people, to make a way for his people to be redeemed before a holy God, and then he's going to ascend into heaven and, and stay there until all of his enemies are made a, a footstool, and then he's going to come again. And so there's not that real clearly defined first and second coming in many of the Old Testament passages, so they kind of get blurred together. So here we are again where it seems like it's a prophecy, but in reality it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fulfilled in a couple of different uh, comings. And so when Jesus comes the first time, he has come to what? He's come to die. He's come to make a way. He's come to absorb the wrath that you and I deserve for being sinful and evil. Why? So that his people can be purified. But he's going to come again, and we'll see that in just a moment. But he says he's going to sit. So he's come. He's made a way. Right? This is, we're in the, the already but not yet, uh, you know, the, the existing king, kingdom but not the fully consummated, the inaugurated kingdom but not the fully consummated kingdom of Jesus, where he has come. He's made a way. He's on his throne. He's ascended into heaven. And now he said, now go forth and, and make disciples of every nation, 
And when that's complete, I'm going to come back and consummate, fully bring in this kingdom. So we live in that already, but not yet reality, this tension between the first and second coming. And so uh, he's going to come and be a, a refining fire. He's going to separate the, the, the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to come in. And, and Jesus does a lot of that work when he's here, doesn't he? he? He shows people what it means to really be a follower, doesn't he? Because when Jesus shows up, he comes after who? The religious people. He says he would. He says that he's going to come and, he, and he'll purify the sons of Levi and refine them uh, like gold and silver. We saw when, when Chad walked us through a couple weeks ago that God has significant issues with the leadership of the church allowing the people to bring their defiled worship. He blames the, the leaders for allowing this culture to be set. And so he's going to come. And he's going to address these church leaders, and he's going to refine them and bring them to a place that therefore his people then are led to a place where they're offering genuine worship again. We see that Jesus does this work when he shows up, doesn't he? I'm telling you, read the Gospels. The people whose mind he was reading earlier, he called them out for their thoughts, were usually the religious people who thought they were better than, than him. He would come, and he would, and he would interact with them, and he's hanging out with sinful people that they don't think has a chance to stand before the Lord, and, and these religious people got real beef with that because they're like, hey, whoa, 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 we're the, we're the ones. I, you, maybe you, like, if you're really the Messiah, you should be hanging out with us, and, and Jesus calls them out consistently because they've made worship about them, and so Jesus exposes, when he's here on earth, he exposes true worship from Idol or false worship, worship of self, religious activity, right? Pharisaism, like this idea of rule following and, and fundamentalism, like I'm righteous because I do all of these things. Jesus exposed all that while he was here. And then he calls people to a genuine worship, one where they're cleansed purely and they're able to offer our hearts and our uh, fullness of our life. We looked at it a couple weeks ago, like what we get to offer, Romans 12, 1 says, our lives is our, our living sacrifice. We give all of ourselves to God. He's made a way for that to happen, and it is happening as the, as the, the gospel work goes forward throughout the world. And, and it says, where's Jesus right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to sit there until all my enemies are made in my footstool, and then I'll come back. And so it says, not only will he come as a purifier, but he will sit as a refiner and a purifier. So as this work is going to continue to sort of separate the world out from his people and, and not his people, right? And then it's also going to continue in his people, continue to make them into his image, continue to make them into a people that will bring offerings, right, of righteousness, uh, offerings in righteousness, the end of verse 3, to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah. So he's going to deal with the priest. And then it says the offering of the people, Judah, Jerusalem. That's the, the broader people. Not the Levites are the, the priests, the, the people, uh, the clergy, the staff uh, of, the, of the Old Testament people. Uh, but it says now the broader people will be pleasing to the Lord. Their offerings, their worship will be pleasing to the Lord, to verse 4 as in the days of old in the former years. So, so that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's, he's, he's making for himself a people, a people that are worshiping genuinely in spirit and in truth. You see him confront, part of the conversation that's had between Jesus and the woman at the well, uh, I can't unpack that full story, but you should read it in John 4. And, and there's this de debate that's going on that's related to, very much related to what's happened culturally in Malachi and the Samaritan people and all these things. And she's going, well, I mean, we're supposed to worship here. We're supposed to worship there because our fathers say we're supposed to worship here, but your Jewish fathers say we're supposed to worship there. And, and, and they're getting this debate. And Jesus goes, you're, you're, you've got it all wrong. I'm seeking a people who will worship both in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter about the location anymore. I'm seeking to people that are worshiping spirit and in truth, and I'm going to make those people. So this is what he's doing. He's doing that purifying work to make for himself a people, a people who will be ready to withstand the judgment and the wrath of God, and we're purified not on our own works. It's not, he doesn't purify us by giving us a list of things to do and going, okay, you've been really awful, and I would never pick you for my team. But if you do these things, like right, Ten Commandments, other lists, like, if you can do these things more or less, when I come back, I'll pick you on my team. That's not how we're purified, right? That, that's, that's good news. I don't know if you knew that. That's actually good news because you couldn't do that. Like he, he says, no, no, I'll never pick any of you based on your merits. Back to chapter one, I've, I've chosen you because of my grace, period, full stop. 
if you belong to the Lord, it's because he chose you out of his grace. Like, it's nothing you did. You didn't earn it. So, he's making for himself a people. He's purifying the earth in that way, and he's going to continue that work to where we're offering worthy sacrifices of our lives. And that work continues. The idea of being saved in the scripture, we talk about this often, but I think it's so important. It's not that you just get saved, meaning you pray a prayer, and okay, that's my ticket to heaven. I'll just hold on to it. I may or may not live my life much differently, but I'll hold on to it. And when it's time to board the, you know, the, the train to eternity, I got my deal. No, no. The Bible talks about us being saved. It's this active process. We are saved. We're justified in one moment. We're purified, not by a progressive work of getting better, but in a moment when we trust Jesus. The Bible says, your sins are as scarlet. Come to me. I'll make them white as snow. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are. It says, come to Jesus. Confess that you're a sinner, that Jesus is the Savior. You're going to make him Lord of your life. It says, you will be saved, cleansed, purified, made whole, new. Whatever guilt, shame you're carrying on you, whatever has been put on you by somebody else, he will wash it off and carry it away. That's the promise of the good news of the gospel. Amen, church? He makes us new. And in that moment, we're purified. We're justified. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. He no longer sees our impurities. But we know that practically, there's still this struggle. He doesn't see them and hold us to them anymore. We're no longer condemned by our impurities, by our imperfections. And yet, it says that there's going to be a progressive sanctification where we're continually made more and more like him. That's, so justification is where you're forgiven, and that'll never be held on you again. Pure, sanctification is where you're purified over, process, over suffering, over the, a period of time through suffering, through challenges, through discipline. He's continuing to purify us. Right? And how does he know when he's done? Well, the legend is about uh, you know, the, the precious metalsmith that's boiling down that metal. And how does he know whenever there's no impurities left to, to get out? Is whenever he can look in there and see his reflection in the, the pool of metal. I don't know if that's true, but it preaches good, doesn't it? So, justify, sanctify, refined. You, you could replace sanctification with refining. And then one day, when all he sees is himself, we'll know that we're in glory with him. The glorification has happened, that he's come, and that we're saved from the presence of sin forever. This is how, this is how Jesus comes. Isn't this so much better than just sweeping arm of justice? If he just shows up with a sweeping arm of justice, guess what? We all get wiped out. But instead, he shows up with a sweeping arm of incredible love and grace. It's incredible news that Malachi is unpacking for his people. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. Okay, but now, now we got to go back to justice because we still have the issues. What about those people? What about the people who have hurt other people? What about the people who have perpetually brought evil on this world? God, do you not care about what they've done? He goes, oh, I care. But if I kill them, I'm going to kill all of you. Because nobody can stand before the Lord. So his first coming is to make purification, to, to redeem for himself a people so that his people, you and I, those who receive Jesus as Savior, can withstand the second coming. Okay? So his first coming is to make a way to purify for his people. His second coming is going to be a purification of the whole world. A refining of the whole world. So what does he say? Verse 5. Then, okay, so after that purifying work is done, then I will draw near to you for your, or for judgment. Okay, so made a way. The gospel's gone forward. People can be purified through Jesus' work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Then I'll draw near for judgment. And I will be a swift witness he says, make no mistake about it. It's not that I've not cared about what the evil has happened in the world. It's not that I, I, I'm not going to be a witness. It's not that I'm going to let them off the hook. No, no. Then I will come and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. All right, this is those who have looked to other religions and, and you know, magic and these sorts of things to, to benefit themselves, to get power, whatever. I'm going to call them out. He's saying, in essence, no, no, I see them. I see the people who have turned to pagan worship. I see them. 
I, I, I will call them out against the adulterers. He says, I, I, I know, I know there's people, I know you've been faithful in your marriage and oh boy has just left his wife over and over again or oh girl or whatever. Like, I, I, I'm going to call them out. They, I see them. Justice will be served against those who swear falsely, against those who bring false witness to benefit themselves or to further oppress the poor. Like, I, I, I see them. Right? This is an issue that Christianity, like we have to be able to articulate that God cares about justice because there's a movement in our world about social justice, isn't there? There's a, there's a movement amongst young people in particular where, where they don't want to just go to church and talk about heaven and hell. They want to see God's people be active in the world and bringing about justice. And, and I say, amen. Because of my work in foster care and, and adoption and those things, I've, I've been called a social justice warrior. I've been called woke before. Because I talked to y'all about racial reconciliation, I've been called woke before, because there's people that want to hear nothing about what we should be doing to be just in our world, when our God is, make no mistake, he cares about justice. Read the Bible. Turn off your talking heads and read the Bible. God cares about justice. And we need to make sure that we're able to articulate how God cares about justice. Because right now, it's either you're all in about justice or you don't want to hear anything about it. No, no, no. The Bible goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both in. Absolutely personal responsibility and absolutely generous justice. Absolutely. Both of those things. Right now, now listen, that's what, I'm, I'm stepping off, like, I'm just throwing a rock in really deep waters that y'all need really unpacked, and so I understand that. But here's, here's what I'm saying. He cares about justice, and he says that I will, I, I see all that is happening, and I care about those that are suffering, those who have been wrong, the systemic injustice, the personal injustice, all of those things. I see him. And he says, I will bring justice to bear against those, listen to what the Bible says, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. This is going to get really clear and poignant about those who are vulnerable in the world. This is issues of refugees. This is issues of Orphans and kids in foster care, right? Against those who thrust aside the sojourner. The widow, the fatherless, those who don't care about those that are suffering in their midst. Listen, you read the Bible, God has no tolerance for people who go to worship and go to church every week while they're stepping over hurting and struggling people in the streets on their way. God says, no, 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 don't come in here and sing to me. You go out there and care for them. Right? He has no tolerance for that. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dole out justice. Don't get it wrong. I haven't forgotten. It's not that I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. And those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so what's happening here is he's actually saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring justice. And I'm going to get all those pagan nations, they're going to get theirs. But don't forget about your own hearts. Because see, their posture that they begin to live out of, right? Remember how we started? This posture of does it really matter? What's the point that leads us to start to not really care how just we live? Because what's the point? He says, no, no, judgment will come. Thankfully, for your sake, refining and purifying gospel work through Jesus came first. Amen? Thankfully, Jesus came to make a way so that we could withstand the wrath of God. And so one day, here's what's going to happen. Let's, 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 let's go to first, or 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a New Testament unpacking of the same idea where, um, where there's this, this same kind of pressure that's going on. Where is your God? Why does he not care about the justice? That's, or why, why is he not showing up this way? I, I want you to hear what, what's, what's going to come. And this is a verse that is used at the end, it's going to talk about the whole world's going to be burned up, and, and people will use that to say, see, God's going to get rid of this world and bring a new one. But what he's talking about is actually a refining fire. What he's talking about is on his second coming, he's made a way for his people to be purified, and on his second coming, he's going to come and purify his world. Meaning that when his wrath washes on, there will be a burning, but those that, like what, what gets burnt up, it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, our work will be exposed and what is built in the kingdom of God, what's a part of his kingdom will last and the rest will be burnt off and it will be a purifying fire. So what's going to happen when he shows up? Yeah, there'll be a fire. 
Yeah, the whole world's going to, you know, it's going to talk in language of the world getting consumed by that. But what's happening in that moment is this consuming, purifying fire that's going to get rid of everything that's not of the Lord and everyone that's not of the Lord. If you take a closer look at, if you were raised, being taught about the rapture, I don't, it's an open-handed issue for us. You don't have to fall in a certain place. It's really confusing how eschatology plays out. But if you reread those passages again about who's left whenever the Lord comes back, it's actually not about the people who don't know the Lord that are left. It's, people, it's the people who do know the Lord that are left. And the ones who don't are removed from earth because why? He's going to purify this earth to come back and live with his people forever. So let's, let's let Peter bring commentary on Malachi and apply it in New Testament theology for us as we wrap up today. So for 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So these are people going, when's he coming back? You keep telling me he's coming. When's he coming? He goes, and don't forget, God doesn't do time the same way that you and I do time. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Okay? That's not what this is about. Be careful what you accuse God of. He says, He's delaying for your sake, but he's patient toward you. The reason he hasn't come back yet, the reason he hasn't doled out justice yet, it's because he doesn't wish that anyone would perish, but that all should reach repentance. Every day that he tarries and waits is an opportunity for someone, maybe even you, to repent. To find yourself under the ref- in the refuge of Jesus, purified in his name, so that you can withstand the fire that is going to come. But then the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So this is why he's waiting, so that more people could be saved. But then the day of the Lord, it's going to come like a thief. People are like, oh, it's this and that. I somebody tell me this week, uh, I, one of the river that uh, Euphrates dry up or something? I don't I don't follow prophecy real close. Somebody told me that this week. Or say that one of the rivers in, uh, you know, the, that area dried up and that meant that Jesus was about to come back. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it says we're not going to know. Like, he's going to show up like a thief in the night. Like, always be ready. Don't, so we shouldn't be surprised, but we will be surprised, right? And, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. So he's going to come back. This is the second part of what Malachi is talking about. He will come back because when Peter's time, he's come once and he's going to come again. And, and the heavenly bodies will be, uh, so the heavens will pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be what? Consumed? No, Exposed. This fire that's going to come is a refining, exposing fire that what will be left will be God's purest creation that he was aiming for the whole time. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people, this is our application, this is where we land. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of what? Holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth which, in which righteousness dwells. That new heavens and new earth is, is a refined, a purified earth, not totally new substance, not thrown away and replaced, but rather exposed, refined, and, and therefore this is where God is going to come and dwell. Revelation goes on to say, Heaven, like heaven is out there. Heaven's going to be here on earth when he brings the city of Jerusalem down to, to be once again on this new heaven, on this new earth. Heaven will be here after he's purified this deal. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out a lot of theology here and not really unpacking it, but I'm really like, this is what Malachi is saying is, hey, be careful when you start questioning whether or not God's going to come back or not. You start believing that he's not, probably not really going to come back. It's going to start affecting how you live. You're going to start not caring about people because what's the point? You're going to start not caring about your faithfulness because what's the point? But no, no, make no mistake, he'll be back. Make no mistake, he will be back. And all of this stuff that we think, you know, the people that are not caring about God, they're getting rewarded with, he says, guess what? It's all going to be dissolved. It's all going to be consumed. 
So Peter says, so therefore, what kind of life should we live? Lives of holiness and godliness. We're back where we started. No longer can we ask, what's the point? We've been reminded, no, no, he'll be back. He's going to call out all those who have lived with injustice, who have perpetuated injustice. So don't join them for the short term. Live faithfully for the long term. Since all this is going to be dissolved, man, what kind of life should we be living in godliness and holiness? What Peter's saying is, listen, if you get this, if you get this, it will change everything about your life. You begin to live for eternity in a way where you don't, like, you don't want to be called out for any of those things in Malachi chapter 3. So, let, when you see injustice, I want you to let it drive you back to gratitude that the gospel exists and Jesus received what you deserved. You understand that? Justice was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Justice for who you are and what you've done was poured out for what, on Jesus. And what he deserved is gifted to us in grace. So when you see the world in injustice and you cry out for that, let that drive you back to gratitude that Jesus has made a way that he received justice on your behalf and gifts you with righteousness. And then secondly, let it drive us not to a, a, a posture of what's the point, but rather a posture of, man, I've got to tell everybody I can about this good news. It's to drive us to gratitude for the gospel and then compel us into evangelism to tell the world. This should be how we are living. And when we see the injustice of the world, it should drive us there. Gratitude and evangelism. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would stir in us to make us a people that, that don't take for granted that Jesus, you came and that you're coming again. And don't take for granted that you received our justice on our behalf and that you've sent us out to now live justly as a witness to your world. Help us to embody that. I pray today that those who, who don't know your forgiving, grace-filled, blood-washing, cleansing, and purifying, I pray today that those that don't know you as Savior would, would turn to you today, turn away from their sin, and turn to trust you today, confessing that you are our Savior and that they would receive new life. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would be compelled to back into the fear of the Lord, back into a reminder, that, oh, no, he, you are coming, and it does matter how we live. So have your way with us. Expose in us what you would have us to, to see and to respond to today. May we respond in full view of who you are and who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray now. Amen.